This is episode 32 of One Page at a Time. How did a dyslexic become an author? In this discussion, you'll hear about author Kimberly Gard's experience with dyslexia as a child and some recommendations for dyslexics in your life. We also talk about her delightful picture book series called Language is Fun. Also, this is an interview that we recorded before COVID-19 interrupted all of our lives. So if we talk about the world the way it was before everything shut down, that is why. This is Jill in Virginia. And Amanda in Dubai. We are here to help you read more often. Read at home. Read at school. Read with your kids. Read with your spouse. Read aloud. Read faster. Just read. We dig through the data, gather the anecdotes, and chat with the experts who can tell you why and how you should make books a bigger part of your life. We're on this journey along with you, bringing people and reading together, one page at a time. Our guest today is an inspiration for anyone who is watching someone they care about struggle with reading. Growing up with dyslexia, she, in her own words, spent her childhood running from books instead of reading them. As time went on, she gained the tools and skills she needed not only to unlock the joy of books, but has become an author of them. She has written several picture books and is passionate about the power that books have to change children, especially ones who may not follow the same path to a love of reading that their peers might. She is currently raising four sons and a gaggle of barnyard animals along with her writing, and we are so excited to chat with her today. So without further ado, welcome Kimberly Gard. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. We are so excited to have you and I'm really excited to hear about your books, but I am a historian and the historian in me very much wants to hear about your history and your journey that led you to your books and to the writing of them. So could you share a little bit with us about what it was like growing up with dyslexia? Absolutely. Growing up with dyslexia is something that really sets you apart. And when I was in elementary school, it was wasn't flagged as dyslexia. I was told I had a reading disorder. So that reading disorder brought me out of class every single day. I had to gain extra tutoring and reading and spelling. And it took me a very, very long time to read. It wasn't until I was about 10 or 11 years old that I could actually read by myself. Letter comprehension was also something that came very hard for me. I could sing the alphabet song, but when it came to figuring out what letter matched the alphabet letter, I couldn't match the two together. So things like spelling and basic words and sight words came very, very slow for me. And because of that, that really set me apart and way behind my peers. As you can imagine, being pulled out of class for any child just makes you feel different. It makes you struggle with your own, just kind of who you are. I had very low confidence and it really just set me behind by years of where my peers were. I think those of us who didn't have those struggles reading, I think we really take for granted our experience reading. And for a lot of us, it happened early enough that we don't even remember. I, To be honest, I don't think I remember a time in my life where I couldn't do the reading. And so to hear about your story and hear about your struggles, it is very helpful for me to remind myself that not everybody has that experience and we need to be aware and sensitive about what other people are going through. And in our discussions leading up to this interview, you mentioned being taught some tools that helped you deal with it. And I'm sure we could talk about this for hours, but could you maybe share a little bit about those tools? Absolutely. I think some of the things that really help any child is, first of all, really to figure out what is wrong. In schools today, they can't prescribe or tell you that your child is dyslexic. They'll just kind of put you in a box of what your disorder is and just say that, you know, you might have a difference when it comes to 
to reading. So if your student or your child is struggling with that, it's because the schools themselves can't diagnose the problem. And that was the same for me. It wasn't until much later in life that I actually learned that I had dyslexia. I just knew that I was different from everybody else. In today's world, you know, there's so many resources where we can help our children just to begin to understand what the struggle is can really set you on the right path to helping a child, whether it's dyslexia or or some other kind of learning disorder. But for me, the things that really helped me to gain confidence in reading was really to realize that phonics didn't work for me. It was more just the constant presence of sight words, studying those sight words and memorizing them, that bit by bit you get to build on your sight word memory and you gain more independence in those words. So sight words are a really big thing that can help any child with dyslexia and also just to be given the time to learn. Obviously, I just told you I couldn't read until I was at least 10 or 11. So that was years and years of just constant tutoring and going over those sight words, trying spelling words, just the one-on-one attention but it took a long time. So I think having the grace to just let a child learn as slowly as they may need is okay. So you mentioned that schools can't diagnose, you know, specific problems, and that makes sense. That's not their their wheelhouse. But do you think it's important for parents or caregivers who have a child who's struggling with reading and writing? Do you think it's important to know exactly have that specific diagnosis or simply know that this is a struggle and, and have tools to help it? I personally do just because I've been through that struggle with my own child. And it's been noted that one in five people are dyslexic, but it's tricky because dyslexia doesn't fit into a certain box. Brains just aren't the same. No dyslexic brains are alike. So some dyslexics have difficulty with words. Some have problems retrieving and decoding. Everything can just be confusing and frustrating, but it really does help because there's different forms of dyslexia to help know what your child has, because then you can be given the tools to work with it. Dyslexia is a unique thing that words may not come easily, but often artistic skills are very high. So, you know, if you can help and encourage your child in their other skills and where they grow and and strive for, then it makes their confidence a little bit better than just their struggling with words all the time. So just knowing where your child is at, I do believe you can have the testing done. It is well worth it just to know what you're dealing with. And is that something, this is just me being curious, is that something you would go through your child's pediatrician or kind of an outside source like that? Yes. The child's pediatrician is a great place to start. You could also just look it up on the internet. There are a lot of testing resources available. A lot of the tutoring programs have things like that as well. So, but a pediatrician is a great place to start and just ask for a recommendation. That's wonderful. And I love what you said about kind of emphasizing those strengths and something I've thought a lot about with my own kids they're all three very different and so they all three have very different strengths to make them feel good about themselves before you say okay now here's what we need to work on is I can imagine very very helpful yes I agree kids are so different and they're also special and unique we've all been given gifts and just to figure out what your child's gifts are and let them excel in that and not just discount where their struggles are it can just change a child's life to just be encouraged by focusing on what their their attributes are instead of where their struggles are. Just as a side note, Kimberly, I have dyscalculia, which is the number form of dyslexia. And it's just so validating to hear your struggles with letters um, and be able to compare it to my struggle with numbers. There's a lot of overlap. So I, I 
really appreciated <laughs> hearing that, um, just hearing the resources and hearing your story there. So thank you for that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, that's, that's interesting. And it, it, it is so wide. It, it's just so many people struggle with dyslexia. And like I said, it, one in five people have it in some degree or another. And that's, that's a lot of people. So I believe, you know, generations ago, it was kind of discounted. And now people are understanding that it's part of our life and part of our society and trying to help people who do have that diagnosis and create other ways and environments to learn in. And it's so important. It is. And it's so important also to have people who are willing to talk about it, such as you. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. So once you kind of began to overcome the limitations of dyslexia, I'm just curious, did you first connect with reading or writing? Did it happen at the same time? Just because you're an author now, but I can imagine you also at some point enjoyed books and reading them. I love that question because I get asked it a lot. It's kind of funny. I do believe sometimes our struggles can become our greatest gifts. My case was I couldn't read books, but I had a lot of them and I had access to a lot of them and I loved to look at them. And even though I couldn't understand the words and I couldn't read the words, I would look at the pictures and kind of make up my own stories. So I became a storyteller or, or made up my own stories at a very young age. And that fascination and the gift of that, I just fell in love with. So I have always loved making up stories and creating stories. It wasn't until seventh grade when I did write a story and my seventh grade teacher loved it so much that he had it published in the paper. And it was that turning point that really made me realize that I could be a writer. Even though I struggled so much, even at that point, I was still a terrible speller, had a horrible time with sentence structure and, and things like that. I was still behind, but having somebody's confidence in me and in seeing the story and the imagination that he saw in it and to get it published was just what I needed to kind of imagine myself becoming an author one day. So that's kind of really where I began to believe in myself that I could do that at some point. I love that journey that you went on. And, and I wonder too, if having that time where you weren't able to read the books and yet still wanting to create those stories, just I can imagine it strengthened that imagination and that storytelling, those storytelling muscles in your brain and building that foundation that you have now to write the stories down and be able to share them with others as well. I think that is absolutely where that came from. And I am so grateful for it. You know, like I said, I think struggles can sometimes become a gift. And I know that's true for me. I very much agree as one who has read your books. And so now that kind of leads us to your books where you're now here able to write books. Is it still a struggle for you to write to actually, you know, you have the stories in your head? Is it still a struggle for you to get them down on paper? You know, the writing process is a very long one in in general, it's not so much a struggle for me anymore to write, kind of conquered that over the years. But I will say what begins as a first draft is so different than what the end results are. So um, <laughs> it just is a whole process and a story just shapes and morphs itself over time. So it just grows with you. That's wonderful. And I would kind of love to hear how your latest book, which is called The Day Punctuation Came to Town, grew because it's an adorable book and I loved it. And I made my sister go check it and read it to her kids too. And she told me how much they loved it. But how did this book about a family of punctuation 
conversation come about? How did that story grow? So that is the second in the Learning is Fun series by Familius. And it just came about because I was trying to focus on where I struggled as a kid in my reading and writing journey. And I was trying to create some tools that might help other children, whether they had learning difficulties or not. I feel like punctuation is just one of those things that is hard for children. And in fact, most people don't know, but the majority of the time, punctuation is not taught until children are far past the initial stages of reading. And because of this, children actually have to go back and relearn how to use punctuation, or they just discount it and don't use it at all. So when I was writing it, I was trying to create as a tool that you could use and teachers could use alongside when they're first teaching the alphabet and words in general and show that this punctuation family and punctuation marks in general really do have an important place in our language. They really do. And I 100% agree. My son is in first grade and he's working really hard on writing sentences and multiple sentences, but he just throws question marks in there. Like, I think he just likes the way they look, like the curvy, the curviness of them. And so it makes me laugh sometimes where he's just like, I really want to use a question mark. They're fun to write. I'm going to put a question mark here. And so to have this really fun kind of on their level source to use to show them when and why he gets to use these awesome curly question marks is such a good tool to have. Well, I'm glad that, yeah, I just, I created the book just for it to be fun, but to also be used as a learning tool and just to introduce punctuation marks to children who may or may not have used them before. So it's been a fun journey. I bet. And you mentioned the series, you mentioned the Learning is Fun series. And so I was curious, is that a series that you kind of dreamed up or was it your publisher? How did that kind of come about? So it was a series that I created and then Familius branded it with the Learning is Fun. And there'll be two more books in the series so far. We have The Mighty Silent E coming out this August. And that kind of tells about the power that the silent E has to change words. And then next year, a story about the vowels will come out. It's called Red Rover, Red Rover, send another vowel over. Those sound awesome. And we should also mention that the first one is the little eye who lost his dot, right? Yes. Yes. That was a great journey and a fun debut. And it won the Colorado Book Awards for children's literature last year. So that was really exciting for a debut picture book. I bet I would be super excited too. Well, we very much look forward to the other books in your series and any other book you might dream up because these are very practical things that I think kids get so much dry information about them at school. To have these really fun, colorful, enjoyable sources is going to be wonderful. Well, thank you. It's been such fun just creating them and watching the illustrator match the artwork to the words that I sent and and just seeing the whole book come together. It's just been an amazing journey. That's wonderful. Have you used the same illustrator? Will it be the same illustrator for all the books in the series? Yeah, Sandy Sankey is the illustrator for them. And she just has such a great way of bringing the little letters and the punctuation marks to life. She's been a great fit for this project. And like we've been talking about, I definitely recommend your own excellent books for everyone to check out. But I was curious if you had a few other favorite books that you have on mind that could maybe help engage a struggling or reluctant reader. Oh my goodness. I have so many favorite books. I really like Karma Wilson as a children's author. I think her books are so imaginative and fun and just kids just love them. But I will say, I think it's so important for kids to take ownership in their their own book choices and just encouraging your child to go to the library and pick up the 
the books that they want to read, I just believe just builds those reading skills so early. So I feel like every for everybody, it's a little bit different. And it's just exciting to see a child find books that they love and that they are enthusiastic about reading and just watching them look at the pictures. It's just, there's nothing like it. That is wonderful. And thank you so much. Well, before we wrap up, Amanda, I know you had a chance to talk a little bit ago, but is there anything else that you would like to ask? No, not ask. I just wanted to thank you, Kimberly, for for this book. I've been unable to get it myself, but I've been scouring Instagram and YouTube and all of these different places to try and piece together snippets. And actually, Jill sent me a video of of reading it (laughs) to me as well. And I just love taking something that, for me, it was really difficult to teach the concept of grammar and punctuation as an English tutor at a very diverse university where most of the students were learning English as a second language. And I really especially appreciate the comma and the role that the comma plays in this book. The comma has such a fun, I guess, a character development moment in this story that the other punctuation marks are so confident when they come in and they know exactly what they're there for. And then there's the comma and the comma doesn't really know and feels like the comma is getting in the way. And it's so reflective of how we often treat commas as adults, even who are, you know, literate with with English as a language, but it was something that I really appreciate having such a simple but effective way to describe such a complex thing as a comma that I struggled so many times with different students, student after student after student from different countries who have different native languages and everyone, native English speakers included, struggle with the comma and he doesn't know where he belongs and then the other characters are able to describe no this is your place and then he owns it and I just love that thank you so much yeah I like I said stories just kind of grow and morph as you're creating them and that's what happened with the comma because it originally started being a different punctuation mark who was kind of the, the the hero's story in the journey and yeah comma just seemed to fit that so much better and it's true I mean what child can't relate to going into a new experience and having some apprehension about it. Even adults struggle with that. But I think it's so important that we all find our own strengths and be strong in who we are individually so that we can bring our gifts to the world. We 100% agree. And there is no better note to end our our interview on and we are just so grateful, Kimberly, for you taking time out to come and talk to us and share your experiences and your struggles and you are very inspirational and we are just so grateful. Oh, well, thank you guys so much. It's been a pleasure to be on your podcast and I am just so excited to be here. So thank you for the opportunity. This is our first interview that we talk a bit about dyslexia, but it certainly won't be the last. But listening to Kimberly made me realize what a feat she has accomplished in authoring books as a dyslexic herself, and she mentions her child also has dyslexia. I brought up my learning disability in this discussion, and because of my childhood, hearing her experiences as a child really hit home for me. I have dyscalculia, which is the dyslexia of numbers, where math doesn't really make any sense to me. 
It's a huge struggle, obviously mentally, but also emotionally to live in a world that seems to be so clearly identifying you as less than because of the way your brain works. (laughs) So for her to overcome her difficulties and end up staring down her dyslexia by authoring books, it's amazing and hats off to her. I feel like the equivalent for me would be like dedicating years to doing math equations enough to first respect the science and art of numbers and then create or solve some daring algorithm or create, I don't know. It's incredible to imagine that sort of reverence for a medium that you've battled with for your whole life. And what a good example she is to her child and to everyone else who has dyslexia as well. So I know that she talked about her struggle a lot and we I'm so grateful that she shared that with us. And I also, she talked about how her struggle really became her gift in the interview, kind of like what you were talking about just now. And that part really got to me when we were talking to her. I have recently been confronting some of my own weaknesses. Everybody has them, let's be honest. And I've been trying to look at myself and see what I struggle with and have finally accepted that the only one who can really do anything about them is me. And now that I've decided it's probably time to do something about them, it's time to start the work of actually overcoming them. It's hard enough for me as a grown woman to face that and to come up with the tools and the the tips and the tricks that are going to help me overcome some of these weaknesses. And I just can't even imagine for a young child to try and mount a struggle like dyslexia. That's going to be huge. And that's why I'm so grateful that Kimberly was willing to share some of the things that worked for her and really just remind anyone out there working with dyslexia that there are ways forward. Yeah. And it's good also to hear from adults who have dyslexia so that those of us who don't have dyslexia ourselves can better empathize with the children in our lives who do have dyslexia too. So I I think it's really powerful that she was talking about it. But she, she mentions feeling the importance of identifying the type of dyslexia your reader may have, which also makes a lot of sense to me. And if you yourself haven't been diagnosed, but you suspect that you may have dyslexia, I feel it also fits in the same category. This is I don't know, maybe this is going off topic a little bit, but a friend of mine speaks many languages and he once told me he breaks down language into, I think it was eight categories, you know, speaking versus listening versus writing, etc. And he targeted his own weaknesses and worked especially hard in those areas each time he learns a new language. And if you can identify your weaknesses in reading, you can work harder on them. And if you can identify your strengths, you can use them to specifically build on your weaknesses in a better and hopefully easier way. So it really does make sense to me to figure out not just, oh, I really struggle with this, but to actually identify exactly what's going on in your brain. I really like that. I really like that way of looking at it and kind of breaking it down like that. And while neither Amanda nor I have had to tackle this specific kind of reading problem in ourselves or our kids as of yet, the whole reason we started this podcast is because we wanted to do whatever we can to help you and the kids in your lives be able to really fall in love with and make books a part of your everyday lives. If this is something you or someone you're caring for is struggling with and you feel like you're running out of ideas or places to turn, please reach out to us and we would love to connect you with people and resources that we that might be able to help. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be highlighting several other ideas and resources that can help with dyslexia. So definitely keep an eye on our blog and our social media accounts, and we'll hopefully get you connected with some some new ideas. Yes. And of course, we wouldn't have talked to Kimberly in the first place. (laughs) We wouldn't have found her to be able to talk to her in the first place if we didn't find and love her Language is Fun books series. And now... 
see this was recorded so long ago. Now we have the Mighty Silent <laughs> E that came out in August. Yes. Too. <laughs> I haven't read it yet. Have you? I haven't yet. No, my library doesn't have it. I've requested it. So hopefully soon. Maybe I'll have to have you read it to me on Polos. We've done that before. So we have. We read each other books on, on Marco Polo and it's delightful. <laughs> it's fabulous. And then my kids get to watch it too. It's great. Yes. Anyway, well, so now the mighty silent E has come to us. <laughs> okay, so grammar may not be something that many parents think about teaching to their kids, unless you're homeschooling or I guess distance learning now, maybe. <laughs> or maybe if you were a language teacher or a tutor yourself, like I was, or, you know, I don't know. But I feel like a lot of people don't jump at the idea to teach their children grammar. But these books really do make such a seemingly kind of off-putting subject fun and approachable. And it really does make language fun. English is such a hard language and there are so many rules and exceptions to those rules yes. <laughs> that I'm grateful Kimberly and other authors are helping us teach things in a fun way. And I keep saying fun, but I don't know what else to call it. It's just fun. These books are great. We can leave it at that. <laughs> they are. And they're so helpful because now that my oldest has entered the reading and writing learning phase the other day, our latest one was the word sign. We were on a walk at the park and there was a stop sign. So we were talking about sign and he was spelling it S-I-N-E. And so we had to tell him, no, it's S-I-G-N. And that just made no sense to him. And it was so hard for him. And I don't completely understood. And so all of these concepts that just are not fun for me to try and explain to have a illustrated children's book to to explain them for me. So Kimberly, if you could write another book about the word sign, that would be great. I seriously, English is so hard. Who who made English? Well, that's a whole know. other whole other topic. It really is. I know someone listening is like, ah, this is how English was created. Yes. So send us an email. Yeah, tell us. In. Tell us all about it. Anyway, so check out those books literally or buy them or whatever. Get your hands on those books because they are fabulous. And speaking of sending us messages if you know how English was created, we would love to hear from you <laughs> about that, about other things. Will you take a minute or two, give us a review on Apple Podcasts? Feedback is really helpful for us as we want to be able to change, grow, and to better help you and the readers in your lives. So just pop on there, leave us a review. It would be really, really helpful. Well, thanks for listening and talk to you again soon.